Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Motivational Monday on Justin and the Food Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm Justin Bizarro. I'm your host, and today I have with me again our guest host, J.R. Tao. How are you doing today, J.R.? Justin, I'm doing fantastic, man. Thank you again for having me on. This is always fun for me. Yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time to get on and, and being a part of what we're doing here. And, uh, you know, JR and I see things uh, very similarly. And we sort of left things off last week talking about the automobile industry because JR picked a quote from uh, Henry Ford. And we sort of got off on different tangents, but I think they were all important. And what we decided we were going to do this one is a little bit talk about Formula One since it's in the automotive line. And while we're a food and beverage and nutrition entrepreneur podcast, that we sort of take things where we can learn lessons from so that the public can see and be inspired by. And for me, I've recently become a Formula One fan a huge one after seeing this podcast because i mean after seeing the documentary on netflix because the business side of it and so today's quote is from lewis hamilton and he's literally won formula one races um the championship as a driver four or five times and his team mercedes continues to win the team aspect of formula one which means the highest points for two drivers Um, But I want to give you the quote, and this is what he says. Um, What people tend to forget is the journey that I had getting into Formula One. There were plenty of years where I had to learn about losing and having bad races, end quote. And that's Lewis Hamilton. He races with the Mercedes Formula One team. And I want to talk about it, but first I want to give everyone a little bit of a background why I like the Formula One thing so much from a business standpoint. The first part is is that not all cars are created equal, and not all drivers are created equal, and they all have different skills, but it doesn't level the playing field, and they all have to race and deal with the circumstances within a race at all times. And the second part I like about it is it's a microcosm of 10 teams. You can have more than 10 teams, but it's 10 teams, 20 drivers, each team gets two cars in a race, and there are losses and failures every race for every team in different ways and different drivers and there's two teams right now that are the best teams it's the ferrari and mercedes teams they build the best cars they have the best drivers but it's not created equal there's no budgets there's no amount of money they have to spend the rules are pretty basic in what the engines are in the cars and things like that but The teams get a chance to build their own cars, to run their own businesses, to hire as many employees as they need, to go get their own sponsorships and win races. And it's measured, their successes are measured in three ways. One is the driver top three of each race out of the 21 races per year. Uh, The team that has both drivers score the highest point gets the Constructors' Cup. So each team is known as a uh, constructor because they're building the cars. And then per race, there's you get extra points for the fastest lap. So they're in, they're encouraging people to do their best by the fastest lap. They're encouraging people to get the points by being top three and winning a race. But only the top ten of each race actually get points as a driver. So you could have one driver get points and another driver get zero points, or you could have both driver get zero points even though they finish the race. And part of it is you know, speed, part of it is winning. And there's a huge part in strategy. And when you come in and you change your tires and 
as a business, these people have to run their businesses based on their budgets. They have to pay their drivers according to their budgets. They have to build cars according to their budgets. They have to have the supplies for the cars according to the budgets. And then on top of it, they've got drivers who need to be hugely confident and have big egos, but also on the other hand are probably extremely insecure at points because failures happen on a weekly basis. And <laughs> those failures are, are catastrophic sometimes yeah, when they the, happen. <laughs> so <laughs> terrified or insecure of whatever you want to call it. That's that you, I don't think you could be more right. Yeah. And so, I mean, in the team matters and we, uh, if you watch the documentary, it's the 2018 season, but the first race in Melbourne, Australia, the Haas team, the only American team, um, as we mentioned before, both teams that came out, pit crews came out and put the tires on wrong on both cars. So both cars exited out of the race when they were in fourth and fifth place respectively at the time. And yeah. so it's about a well-oiled machine like any businesses. And so I particularly like it. And I particularly like the quote because he's had to fail so many times to actually be the champion that he is in Lewis Hamilton. And because he failed so many times and because he's willing to do it, he's been able to align himself and become quite a driver. And just so everyone in the audience knows, this blows me away. He's by far the highest paid driver. He gets 57 million U.S. dollars a year to drive a car, um, which is pretty incredible. And the other part that I think incredible is that there's drivers coming into Formula One at 18 years old and trying to make a difference that in their respective home countries, they can't even get a driver's license until they're 18. So, Isn't that amazing? Yeah. <laughs> Another reason to love competitive sports, whether it be motorsports or just a physical sport. Another another reason to to support that. <laughs> put a, put a challenge ahead of someone and and make it a fun in some sort of way and see what lengths they go to to achieve that goal. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I, I mean, Jr. You we mentioned that you. Um, like automobiles and and cars and things like that so I, i'm just curious i mean what it, how do you feel about all of it and in that industry and i mean inspired and motivated I, you mentioned you watched a little bit of the episodes before we got on here but i mean how do you see it <clears throat> well it you know when you 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 read things on the news or in the paper or however you get your information you're getting your information from an unbiased perspective. And I think that's fair to say, wouldn't you? Yeah. That you, it's supposed to be unbiased anyhow. How's that? But without living through something on your own, or at least in this case, we get to watch it on a documentary, right? But it's a, it's a group of a lot of working parts that all have to work in sync to make this thing happen. And the thing being a victory or at least a, a top three finish anyhow. So it's intriguing. And, and I got to tell you, you know, I'm, I hadn't heard of this documentary until you mentioned it on the, the last time we spoke, but uh, I actually come from a little bit of a racing background. I, I play around with, you know, drag racing, cars now just because it's you know it's fun 
<laughs> and it doesn't take as much as much of your time to just toy around with something that you could drive to the grocery store or race it down the track, you know. But I actually did a little bit of dirt racing, uh, um, you know, a few years after high school. Uh, my family actually is is rooted in in dirt track racing quite a bit. My grandfather was as accomplished as you could get in dirt racing at his time um, to the point that he actually had some professional as professional racing started to become a thing. They heard of him and, you know, approached him and asked him to uh, drive for these new brand or team, whatever you want to call it at that time. Unfortunately, he turned it down, which would have been a really cool story if he hadn't, but you know, it is what it is. So, I got to live a bit, little bit of the racing life before I had any kind of considerable responsibility. And it, are, even on a small scale, the race to being in a racing team, and I'll, we'll, I'll say that we had a racing team, even on a small scale, it takes a leader, someone to help carry out all of the duties of the, you know, the vision of the team. And I'm, I'm, I'm saying that the leader, you know, puts out the vision, the common goal, you know, that everyone wants to work towards and and so on and so on. And so even this sport that's just supposed to be for fun, which is, is, is a business, it still relates back to everyone's life. If they could figure out a way to associate it. Does that make sense? Like if you, it may not be for millions of millions of dollars and it may, you know, you're watching it because it looks like a lot of fun and this, you know, whatever else. But truth is these guys, they go, those guys that put the tires on backwards, they're wondering, Oh crap, man, I don't want to look at my locker at the end of the day. I might have a pink slip hanging in there and I got to go see the foreman or manager or whatever, you know, they're still accountable for the work that they've, did but it's on they're they're held accountable and scrutinized on a higher level than the average people that we interact with and you know your jobs or whatever you want to call it it, it's on a much much higher elevated scale yeah and you can i mean that's what i like about it is you can actually learn a lot very quickly from watching it and seeing it the documentary in particular the formula one racing itself now that i watched the first race last weekend in melbourne of the season um was interesting because you don't get the same perspective obviously as diving into the guts of the companies but the documentary for me it taught me a lot about or reminded me a lot i should say about the aspects of business and they're doing it at such a high speed rate i mean it's an hour and a half (laughs) to two hour races right and anything if you're not properly trained and prepared leading up to it it's not about luck it's about how well are you prepared to do it have you made the right adjustments to the car have you come together as a team have you worked out any kinks you developed last season or the previous race and so there's a whole thing there that that really makes sense and can you be competitive with drivers that you know aren't as paid as well as pay really an indicator of how good a driver is or is it marketability? And so there's all of that stuff that matters in sponsorship. And sometimes they hire drivers that aren't the best drivers. Uh, when they have two to choose from, they'll hire the one that has the best sponsorship opportunity. 
And it's an interesting concept, right? Because while the best should be the best paid and the best represented, it's also about being the most successful company in that you need to survive through profitability. And it's really like that. And no one is like, oh my gosh, you don't hire the best person and that's wrong. Well, why would they? They need to survive as businesses because without that, they can't. They need to sell jerseys and hats and jackets and memorabilia. So marketability is also a big part of it. So while the being a great driver is part of it, it's also being a well-rounded human being and a representative of that business as the person that the world sees as the driver. And, you know, and that's all of us sure, as the and, food entrepreneurs also. And even to, you know, to comment on that, Justin, just because, you know, there's a clear, most people would say, okay, well, this guy, he's the highest paid driver. That's going to be the best guy for this team. That's not always the case. Um, a lot of times, and I'm, and I'm relating this back to, you know, the career I had before I started the GOAT, you know, it, by and large, it was a machine shop. Yeah, there was a lot of other jobs in that that within that company, but for the most part, we were always looking for people to machine parts for us. <clears throat> Pardon me. Um, I can tell you, I I would estimate of the hundred machinists they had working for them in the nineteen years I was there, I would say they probably. Over the out of those hundred, maybe hired five machinists. And what I mean by that is, we didn't hire machinists. We hired really good people. We hired good people that were teachable. More importantly, had a great attitude. They were likable. They got along with the team. But if you knew you had somebody that would that could adapt and and you know learn things the way that you wanted them to learn them and the way you wanted to teach them, excuse me, and and you know, we, we, I would say that the company I came from had some of the best machinists in, in the whole state and 2% of them started out their career at our company as a machinist. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because they weren't, they didn't come from a pre-programmed mentality in that way of, of thinking about things this way. They were all, every one of them were innovators. They didn't know any better. They just had to figure – you kind of gave them the general concepts of how, how machining worked. And then them being just good people, great attitudes, go-getters, they kind of figured out their own way to do things better than any school around would teach you how to do it. And that that was a huge key to the success of the company I came from was that we had honestly had some of the best machinists in the whole state, and they came to work for us as just – I don't know, mailmen, farmers, whatever. They were just good people that could adapt and they, they had good attitudes. And you just, like I said, gave them the principles of it and they were go-getters. They wanted to achieve success. And man, that's <laughs> that that's kind of, I guess I got lost on that for a second. But what I mean by that is not always hiring the best driver is the most obvious choice for the driver isn't always the right answer for that reason because you know like you said for marketability you know this guy he's more appealing he may not win as many races but you know the fans are going to like him so it's better for business well at the same time it may not be just the fans they may see something in that guy that they could turn him into something better than the clear choice from the beginning 
better than he would have ever been. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, part of it also uh, that I love about it is while you want to be competitive and they always want to be number one, they also know that they that it's a fight for the middle of the pack also, that they just need yeah. to remain profitable and they need to survive. So if they really wanted to win races, they could spend just as much money as the Mercedes and Ferrari team. But I guarantee next year they aren't going to have a team because they're going to be broke. And so, broke. you know, it's managing the resources that they have. But I want to go back to what you said, which is the employees, you know, and you know, it's a funny thing because we live in such a meritocracy right now where a degree means so much. And it's um, it's not true. And the thing that I, I've really learned myself is that, yes, degrees matter and people have accomplished something. But what really actually matters is what people are willing to do and, you know, how much are they willing to learn and how much are they willing to grow personally, you know, because – it doesn't end with a degree or not having a degree. Where it ends is how hard am I willing to work? How much am I willing to learn? And how open-minded am I to that? And how easy am I? Do I have the ability to be led and learn so I can one day become a leader? You know, and I think that's important. And you see it with these drivers. They actually have three drivers per team, even though two only drive the car. But there's one driver who has to sit back and help and do whatever and patiently wait to hope that he becomes a driver for one of the teams or on that team as a reserve driver. But he's got to participate and help the team grow, even though he doesn't get to drive the cars. Yeah. That, isn't that it? Is, isn't that the way that – and you know what? The guy that's sitting back waiting, you know, he's probably thinking, man, I can't wait for my chance. And probably maybe a little bit of him hoping – hoping something bad happens or not like catastrophic, but I mean, you know, hoping something happens so that he gets his shot at it. But I promise you that guy is just as excited to be a part of the team, knowing that even if he never gets a shot behind the wheel, he's still part of that team. He's a, he's a critical part of that team. And maybe he doesn't get to do, you know, the complete competitive racing portion of it, but there's other things that he does that are, that contributes. And I'm sure he's thrilled at yeah. that position and he's happy to have it. Uh. And it's so that, you know, you said that we're such a, you know, takes, take our nation's brightest and, and mo the, our nation's biggest producer producers. And I mean, individually, not big corporations, which someone started that corporation. Right. But, <laughs> Take those degrees away from those guys, at least the ones that have it. Do you suppose they would still be where they are with or without that piece of paper? Or I guess without that piece of paper? I mean, it's uh, it to me, it, it's more about the person. It doesn't matter where the degree comes from or whatever. I, I think we attach ourselves too much to that, that that's the reason we get places. And it's about knowing people, but... And even without it, I think there's certain people that are just instilled to to work hard and to be entrepreneurs, and it just is part of their nature, you know. And there are so many f people, excuse me, that um, freaking people that go out and go to college and they major in something, and they never actually end up doing what that is. And maybe it teaches you skills, <laughs> and it's a good, good, you know, training wheels to 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 get out of the nest and fly on your own. But the reality <laughs> is, is a lot of people and a lot of entrepreneurs are, 
you know, at least the ones in food and people I know some, a lot of people don't, aren't even chefs. They didn't even go to school to be in the food business, you know? And, you know, I was a business major. I didn't, I've uh, never I, once chefed in my life. And so, I mean, I've worked in restaurants <laughs> and I've worked in food, but I've never actually gone and gotten formal training being a chef. I have to rely on my team who's trained in that. But, you know, I, I've got to say, take take away uh, the obvious um, doctors. <laughs> yeah, your your yep. degree is going to be specific in that, right? Yep. Or uh, engineers yep. that, you know, so things like that. But so exclude the, the degrees that are very, very industry specific. I would imagine that it's a 50 percent ratio of yeah. people doing actually what their degree is good for <laughs> it, it, because you know you you have an idea in mind on oh i want to do this and this is a degree i need and then you go do it and then you have your degree and you start you know right out of college and you think this sucks yeah. <laughs> this isn't anything i thought it was going to be but i have a degree so that opens the door for all these other opportunities for me and and they go and excel at other things it, uh, at least I, I i only say that because i've i've been I've encountered that a lot, you know, through people I know that are, that are quite accomplished. They're like, man, I don't even have a degree in this. That's my degrees in that, but I hated it. Yeah. So I did this. <laughs> and, and uh, Hey, I'm not saying education's not important and, and helps. I just, um, I think we streamline it too much for everyone. You know, the same classes that are for business, they're structured and graded the same way that our sciences or engineering. Like if I'm a business major, like there's no reason business school shouldn't integrate in more real life experiences for people because 100% agree with that. There's no education in business like the real world. And it's this whole reason doctors have, um, residencies and, you know, you and lawyers have to spend a time as a, a junior attorney or whatever the term is before they become an attorney on their own. They, you know, it's not, you just don't give someone the keys to go out there. And in business, we kind of jump out there and we don't give people the, the sort of the training wheels. And while you start off in a business world in a big corporation, you get sort of niched into a very small area within that business and the public world. And you don't really get an overall opportunity i in having the ability to go do real stuff and real projects and work in real life opportunities and anyone who's out there who's you know in college and listening to this i encourage you to go work for as many people in as many places as possible because heck yeah um you learn a lot and i would be and you have to be willing to learn don't just go to it thinking you know everything and you're going to graduate from college and have it all figured out and life's going (laughs) to you know, the golden goose is going to lay the golden egg on you. It just doesn't happen that way for most people. And, um, I would say like 99.99999% of the people really have to work at something to get any success and in, in any opportunity. And while there's success anywhere we go, it still requires work. But I want to touch back on something. Yeah. We were talking about the drivers and one of the craziest things I think about formula one is while the drivers are on the same team, they're still extremely competitive with one another because they too want to win the races. So while they're, they want to win the constructors cup and benefit the company, they're also 
competitive with one another because they want to do better than their teammate because they want to be the number one driver on their team. They also want the most amount of wins and they just, and they want to win. So it's this very interesting environment with having two drivers because the team benefits, but yet they're still competitive with each other. And it's while it can be destructive competition, it's also healthy competition because it forces them to do better within their teams, forces them to do better in the in the races. But it's really what business should be like. We shouldn't just, yes, it's a coworker and he can be my friend. But when it comes to game time and it comes to success of the company or success, like I'm going to be competitive with the person next to me and try to do better than him, regardless of friendship, because at the end of the day, I want to take care of me also. And that doesn't mean I don't help people and don't <laughs> help them along, because if I help him and I help him, it makes him better competitor with me and therefore pushes me farther. So I want to help him, but I know that helping him also is going to force me to do better if I want to stay ahead. And I'm not going to manipulate or hurt him or do something bad or in the race car thing, crash into him. I'm going to help him because if I help him, he's going to push harder and therefore I need to push myself harder to stay ahead. And I think people don't realize that is by not helping people. Yeah, that's great. We can get ahead. But if we help them and they start pushing themselves, it forces us to push ourselves too. <laughs> Justin, what you just said, it, it, it really, it strikes a chord with me. Um, that's a good, how do I say it? that's a good part of my success that I've had is uh, back early on when I was working at this welding company to try to make money to pay for college because I had terrible grades in high school and had no help with college. I, the, you know, it was you had a certain amount of these products that you had to weld every day, you know, and they had quotas. You had to weld a certain amount an hour. And so when I started there, it was like, you need to weld 35 of these in an hour. I was like, all right, man, I can do that. And the first time I hit 35 an hour, I was like, hell yeah. And the guys that, I, that had worked there for a long time, you know, they, they were like, okay, well, 35 is an hour. What's expected? That's what I'm going to do. And I was like, what? This yeah. is nonsense. So the first time I got 35 an hour, I still had a little bit of time left in that hour. I actually got 36 in that hour. <laughs> and, you know, these quotas were checked periodically, you know, so it's not like I had to go and ride a flag around and tell everybody in a parade that I got 36 in an hour. They knew it, you know, so that was the, you know, the rest of the day I paced myself at 35 an hour and the next day I was like, I'm hitting 40 an hour. That's my goal. <laughs> so I'm, and, and it was un, an unattainable goal at that point of getting 40 an hour, being a new guy at this. And it was a technical thing, you know, uh, at least you weren't going to get 40 good parts in an hour. And, and so pushing myself to get those 40 parts in an hour, uh, you know, getting 37, 38 an hour over, you know, eight hours in a day. That's pretty good for a young guy just pushing himself real hard. Well, all of a sudden you start noticing, that the guys that cruised right at 35 an hour, now all of a sudden they're getting 36, 37 parts at an hour. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and then once I've kind of, you know, you spend a week trying to figure out how to get to 40 an hour, you, you kind of uh, perfect that craft all of a sudden, you know, the weekend off and you get time to think about how things win. If you're a competitive guy, like I am, 
and you think, holy cow, I mean, this is crazy. I could easily get 45 an hour. So then the next Monday, I'm thinking, okay, so remember what you told yourself over the weekend, and I, I start, you know, doing things differently that, that you know, generate efficiency in this process, and all of a sudden, where I couldn't get 40 an hour, now I'm getting 42 and 43 an hour. So, you know, eventually by the end of the week, I'm getting 45 an hour hour consistently and it's damn near effortless right well now you look back at the other guys that are welding that have been there for years and years and they they you know were cruising at 35 now they're cruising at 40 an hour because of exactly what you just said justin it's that there's no there was nothing nefarious between anyone it's just that natural competitive nature that people should have that and not competitive as in what kind of shoes are you wearing? I'm going to buy some better shoes. They just want to do, do equally as well, but not for anyone else's gain, but then themselves. But those guys were complacent until the new guy came along yeah. <laughs> and the new guy, new guys do them way more than they are. And they're, that's not okay. So now the new guy's pushing these guys to do <laughs> more than they ever wanted to do. That's for sure. So, uh, what you said ties directly into that for me. And so I can vouch for your opinion of that segment of the documentary. Yeah. And I don't think people realize how much is like, you may not get paid more for doing more per hour, but there's more money coming in and the efficiency of the company and management or owners are more inclined to give bonuses for sure. And I encourage people to do that. If people are hitting their quotas and being more efficient, it's okay to share that money back in bonuses and you just have to be mindful because sometimes there's a group of people within the company who are like, no, and they put pressure on the new person once they start excelling that, hey, you're messing up the system here and we all do it at 35. And they take a hard worker and they, I would say, null them or uh, sterilize them, I would say yeah. is a probably a good term. And I've seen it in our kitchens yep. across the country before, and it's a problem. And you've really got to be mindful of people – hitting cruise control and then convincing your good workers that they're not going to fit in and peer pressuring them into being the cruise control. And it's a hard thing to manage. And, but that being said, rewarding the people that do well and encouraging them to do well and set that higher bar for everyone. You know, if that person proves they can do 45 an hour, like you said, are 40, you know, it may be time to up your quotas a little bit to push everyone around, pushing, <laughs> you know, and that's not saying make mistakes, but you know, it's like the weird speed limits sometimes. Like most states have a speed limit at 65 or 75 miles an hour, whatever it is on the highway, but then you have states that have a minimum and a maximum. And so there's a zone. So maybe a quota shouldn't be just a minimum knowing safely, but if someone can say, hey, I can do 45, and an hour, here's my new thing. I can do it. It's 39 to 45. And if things quality goes up and someone comes along is more efficient, then you adjust the quota based on the best person. And if someone can't keep up, you know, I don't, I'm not one to, to, to do this, um, and say it out loud, but I might as well say this. There's a lot of successful companies that always cut the bottom 10%. And hey, in, yes, GE, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Argue with them. They cut the bottom 10% every year. <laughs> if we could only adapt that into the NCAA referees, right? Yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> and, and it's hard in a lot of businesses that you need to build up skills and training like in food and other things where, but I'm pretty sure GE has some pretty complicated engineering going on. And so holding it accountable is a big deal and measuring people is something we all have to figure out and what's successful and hiring good people is hard. So, um, I yeah, often bet- thing- go ahead. I'm so sorry. I I just uh, I wanted to say this, but the thing is about what you said, you do have people say, man, what are you doing? 35 an hour is what's expected. Don't do 40 because as soon as you consistently do 40, they're going to want 45. That's going to be the new minimum. And you're working your ass off to get 45. But if you do that consistently, they're going to want more. And I and I was young and naive. I didn't know any better to be honest with you. But what, when that was said to me, I thought, F you, man, I don't believe this and I don't care. I'm having fun. I feel good about myself. Just kicking ass all day long. It makes me feel great. So, you know what happened after a few years of me doing, you know, 40 to 45 an hour all day long, they, they changed it uh, quite a a bit. Um, They moved me from the welding shop into you know, a higher position in the company (laughs) and it was repeat. And then I, whatever was expected of me or described to me as far as things that I needed to be doing, I wanted to do more than that. Whatever the, the, tell me what you expect out of me. I want to know because I'm going to find a way. I don't know anything about what you just dropped me into, but I'm going to learn and I'm going to push myself harder than I ever thought I could. I'm going to do more than you expect out of me. And I did that for four or five years. And guess what happened? It changed again. They moved me up again. You know, so the, that mentality of, man, you don't want to do this because they're going to expect it out of you all the time. I don't give a shit what they expect out of me. I, I expect something out of me. I want to be proud of what I do. I want to, I, you know what? It may not be saving lives or, you know, something critical like that, but it's, it's something I'm doing and it's worth doing better than anybody around me. And I don't want there to be a question on who's doing it the best. I want to be the best (laughs) and I want to be the best because I do it better than anyone else. Not because you suck. I want to be the best because it's that much difference in quality. You know what I mean? And I, (laughs) so I, Anyway, go right ahead. I didn't mean no, to, no, no. You were good. I can keep going talking forever. Sometimes I go on these little tangents, so <laughs> it's good, and that's why I like having co-hosts on here for sure. And you know, it's it's actually, and I want to go back to this because I didn't mention earlier, but it's also why I like your name for the beef jerky and being the greatest of all time. And it it's just that superior level in 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 a company having a name like that. It means you're always <laughs> going to be pushing yourself to be better than everyone else so justin i'm so glad you brought that up you know why you know the goat came up we talked about it it was just kind of a joke but you know i could have gone with a whole lot of there's a whole lot of names i could have gone with you know but for me just so that anyone ever knows that that ever listens calling your company the goat that is an unattainable goal you will never be the greatest of all time because all time doesn't stop it keeps going so all you can do is continue to push yourself to be the best you can be every single day. There's never going to be a greatest of all time, in my opinion. And I might piss a whole lot of Michael Jordan fans off. I'm a Michael Jordan fan, so, you know, take it for what it is. But it's it, the, being the goat of anything is not – it's not possible. 
Yeah. It's like awesome. The word awesome. Do you know that the word awesome is ridiculous? Awesome means undescribable. So how do you describe something undescribable? <laughs> awesome doesn't exist. <laughs> right? Yeah. If <laughs> it's the same it's the same concept anyway, I guess. I, I may have gone a little too far off the deep end on that, but the no, word no, awesome right means, it means it's something that is undescribable. So I that, that's what's special about my company's name. You know, our social media takes, you know, we kind of really latch onto that goat animal-wise and you know, being the best you can be. But for me, pers- on a personal level, a business owner, the GOAT is not possible. And that's why it's special to me because I'll never get to where I want to be. So I have to keep pushing myself to well, get there. And I think that's it. It's that you're striving for it, tr- striving to be the best possible, knowing that there's progress, never perfection. And I think that's for anyone, and there's never the greatest basketball player of all time that sits at the top forever. You can have opinions and stuff like that, but the reality is is basketball players will always continue to get better as more science comes out. And, you know, whether it's physical activity or mental activity or mental strength and physical strength, there's a lot of things that we continue to evolve in. And, you know, we can talk about supplements and all of those things. And, you know, we talked about it a little bit, but there's things that are making things less swollen and recovery faster and they're all natural. And these are things that are advantages to athletes today that weren't advantages there uh, back in the day. So we don't know, but we do know that humans continue to progress. And while we never will achieve perfection, because none of us will ever live forever, we're going to die, you know, and unfortunately (laughs) life is growth and then decline and longer decline than growth. And, um, as human beings in terms of aging, it's, uh, it's hard. And that's a business. Also, you have periods of growth and you have periods of decline and you have to learn and go through it. And that's the same back to the formula one racing. It's some teams do great some years and then they go through decline periods. There's teams like the Williams team, that was number one and and doing awesome for years. Guess what? Their last place race after race, year after year, the last few years. And it's horrible yep. and they don't know how to get out of it and they need to change things and they're trying to pivot. But, you know, they're having to figure it out and hopefully they don't run out of money or go under. But they're having to manage all of it at the bottom. And, you know, hopefully it's not true and everything. But once you hit bottom, you know, in business, hopefully there's only one way to go, which is up and it's not broke. Um, but often yeah. bottom can be broke and then there's a problem, but you know, there are huge advantages in not being at the top because you're, you know, you have to pivot, you have to think of how to improve. You have to be more on your toes than everyone else. And it's, it's a little bit different and it's why in formula racing you'll see if you look back all the years certain teams do better certain years and they go through streaks because they hit these hot streaks by being in a disadvantaged position and that's business too not every company is always number one in their industry it usually is a leapfrogging effect which is why you want competition because you need someone to leapfrog you. So you are at a disadvantage. So you can be like, all right, I need to do this better. It forces me to think differently. And that disadvantage becomes my advantage. I think that, that, that what you just said kind of 
highlights kind of a little bit and I'm correct me at any point and shut me down if I'm wrong. That kind of highlights a little bit about what your show's all about, right? Because that entrepreneurs, at least for me, I, I don't, I can't speak for everyone, but for me, this business, I'm starting out at the bottom, rock bottom. You know, you had enough means, resources, or ignorance, or whatever to get yourself started or dive into whatever it is that you're doing. But without getting punched in the face and figuring out how to take that punch, and as you like to say, pivot and do something different than you did before, those new startup companies that can do what you're describing are the ones that move on and become Hershey's or Heinz or, you know, pick, pick a brand. They started off as nothing at some point, you know, and, you know, then it's a, it's, it's a whole process because eventually you reach a point that you become complacent. And if you don't adjust and pivot and do things differently, then, then you start going down like the Williams team. But that, as far as what you're saying, you know, hitting rock bottom, I think that's when you're successful start. That's what fuels the successful startups is that they start off at rock bottom and have to figure out how to grow and adapt with an industry they thought they knew about when they wanted to get into it. But it turns out there's a whole lot more to it and it's a whole lot, it's more, uh, competitive and brutal and mean or whatever, throw out your own adjectives. It was more of what they ever thought it was going to be, but they were able to overcome those things and grow, climb out of what we like to call rock bottom. No. And I think it's really important. And what we don't realize is when new industries pop up or businesses or whatever, and, you know, there is an elasticity. Usually, you know, we talk about it on this podcast um, in some of the episodes coming up is the elasticity where like a business as Starbucks is a great example. They boom the coffee business across the country and across the world. And there's a Starbucks in every corner. But in any market, when a big company does that and grows, there's an elasticity and it snaps back. And society's like, well, okay, hold on, wait a second. I I want my own unique coffee or there's room now for special roasters and a different product and it, it builds a market. So it's like anything else. Competition is good and big companies can be good. They plow the way for the little ones sometimes and, and create industries. So while someone else down the street, be like, Oh man, that was my idea. They stole it from me. I, th- I encourage everyone to really think, okay, well I may be in jams and the person down the street is also in jams. Uh, and we may not do jams exactly the same way, but they are competition. The reality is, is they may take sales from you, but what's going on is if you guys are marketing and all going together, more people are going to become aware of you guys. And Jay and I talked about this a little bit. It's even with partnerships and, and, you know, with me and uh, Deborah and I, Working together, it's not one plus one equals two. It's really a multiplier. It's two squared almost. And we have four, the ability of working as four people because two of us are now working together on the same goal. And so competition is a little bit like that. You know, yes, competition can sink you if you don't remain competitive, but also competition can help you guys pave a way and leapfrog each other and grow a market of awareness because if they're marketing and you're marketing, you know, there's a big deal out there. And I can tell you there's, 
you know, there's other beef jerky companies in your case that are popping up and there's new businesses popping up, but it's good because we want artisan businesses popping up because the more artisan businesses pop up in local markets, the more people are going to be willing to go back to artisan businesses to buy their products versus buying from the big players. And so in order to make that elasticity snap back, snap back for people, there's got to be people out there. We've got to encourage them, which is part of the reason we are doing this podcast also. It's to give back and help people. But it's also because I believe that we're now in a world and in a market where the food revolution is going back to the small players. And we need to buy our foods locally and in our markets and support the little guys. And we've become individualistic. Like I don't have to buy Starbucks because someone wants Starbucks or that's what everyone does. I can have my own coffee from this roaster and I can have my own beer from this microbrewery and I can have my (laughs) own vodka from this special distillery. And it doesn't have to be what everyone else wants. Yeah. You know what, man? I, I really love that you brought this up because I, uh, first of all, I want to say that, I don't know if I'm smart enough to wrap my mind around the difference between being competitive and competition because my company is not in competition with anyone. You know what I'm saying? As in, I don't care what the other jerky companies are doing. Go do your thing. I, I, I don't care, but I like to be competitive and I, and I don't know if they're the same things or different things or if I'm just a complete idiot altogether. And I'm fine with that as well. But <laughs> the, what I'm glad you brought up, though, is, you know, I don't manage. That's probably one of the only things I don't do on my own for the GOAT. I don't have anything. I don't have much to do with our social media. I hired a company uh, that manages all of our social media. We collaborate on a weekly basis and most of the time three four times a week we talk about the direction of it and things like that and um but for the most part here's my concept for you know what we're going to do next is this good yes i love that great job you know and it's a it's become a personal relationship to a certain degree they they understand what i like and don't like and so it's fluid at that point but i you're so busy trying to figure out how to grow a company that you don't really even get a chance to reflect and look back on what's representative of your company, you know? So looking back at some things that, that we had on uh, social media, and I like to go back when I do take the time to read the, read anything or look at it. I look at the comments and I, there was someone that said something about, man, those are your prices. I'll continue to make my own beef jerky. (laughs) I I gotta tell you, I'm not even going to lie. When I first read that, I was pissed. I was like, can I, I asked my wife, this is how dumb I am. I asked my wife, I was like, can I get that guy's phone number off of his social media? Cause I want to call him and tell him how big of an idiot he is for that comment. <laughs> oh, I was like, no, you, you're not going to get his phone number. I was like, well, will you tell him he's an idiot? Because this is, that's the dumbest thing you could ever say. Because when I made my own beef jerky, at home for myself to consume and not for the masses there there was nowhere near the requirements and regulations that you had to adhere to 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 manufacture those things so your your jerky that you make for yourself at home is in no way going to be at the same cost as it is to provide to the nation right and so but that 
that was just kind of a funny thing that I, my wife still likes to laugh at me for <laughs> asking her if I could get that guy's number to tell him how big of an idiot he is. But <laughs> that same thing though, is, you know, is that com- being competitive or is that in competition? I guess oh, that was a long way for me to ask you a question. No, no. Um, foolish comment. I think <laughs> it's being competitive is staying for a goal. I don't think, I don't think that focusing on the competition actually helps you leapfrog them. I think knowing that they're there um, and holding each other accountable and trying to do better and beat each other without focusing on them is the answer. I mean, it's like, you know, the drivers, if they, in Formula One, if they're competitive with each other because they want to win, but being, they're really in competition with the other teams, but and they focus on winning and beating the other teams. But at the end of the day, they have to, each team and driver has to focus internally on their business and to do the best by their employees. It's not going to matter if they're focused on beating someone, if they're not focused on their own business, their own cars, their own pit crews, their own teams, because they have to remain focused on that because if you start focusing on what everyone else is doing, you're never going to win. The only way they win is looking and perfecting their skills within their teams or their constructors, uh, whatever you want to call it groups. It's, it's the only way to do it. So I think that's the major thing is, you know, it's like on a soccer field, I want to be the best I can, but if I focus on what, you know, Johnny's doing on my team or what Bobby's doing on the other team and try to be better than him, I'm not going to be the best. You know, I've really, it's going to take me knowing me. It's going to take me knowing my business if I own a business and how can I do what's best for everyone based on what I know because I really don't know why the competition is doing what they do or how they have success. All I know is that I want to keep my eye on them and be better than them. Um, But by keeping my eye on them, I'm not saying that I want to do what they do or I want to focus on. That's just meaning they're going to hold me accountable to do better. Yeah, that that's it, isn't it? That that's what that's what make differentiates. It's the accountability, right? It has to be. And, I mean that, and that's why competition is important, in my opinion, is accountability. It's not because it's great to just destroy someone or beat someone, but at the end of the day, like. I'm doing it them a favor. It does feel kind of good sometimes. I'm, I'm really, I'm like, I'm going to be honest, and people are going to get pissed at me. I'm sure I'm going to get comments when I say this. But uh, if I crush someone or I beat them, I'm doing them a favor because I'm forcing them to look at what they're doing and to better themselves and to readjust their business or readjust themselves and do something differently. You know? Hell so, yes, you are. That's a, you hit the nail on the head with that. Yeah. It, it, be, it, that is to say that you're crushing someone that has the ability to reflect on what happened. Yeah. You know, some people are going to get crushed and think about how they got screwed and you shouldn't have crushed them. Other people's, if you were to crush me at something, all you're going to do is set yourself up for a big world of hurt. The next time you and I go head to head, because I'm going to figure out how to kick your ass harder than you ever kicked my ass. But that's, that's me. But I wish there were more people like that. And it's not, and as long as it's not done in a nefarious way, it's good. I think 
the, yeah. <laughs> who, well, what if, do I know? And it forces us to go back to the lab and the food and beverage business and create more products and, and figure out how to, to, to add more to our arsenal and to do a better job. It's a, it doesn't have to be destructive, but we can see it as something, you know, beneficial. It's this crazy thing. And I don't remember who said it and I'm going to get off topic, but there's this guy who every time he lost would thank the guy who won. And he's like, why do you keep thanking me for beating you all the time? He's like, because you keep pushing me that much closer to when I'm going to beat you. So I thank you. Yeah. And it was this whole concept where, and he was gr- the gratitude and he was grateful for it. And he was, you know, we're thankful for the God and all these things that this guy kept beating him because it got him closer and closer and closer to beating him and pushing himself harder. And eventually he did beat him and eventually, you know, time knocks everyone out, but it's a matter of that. The guy kept pushing himself harder and harder to win. And you know, that, and the guy invented some of the, the coolest stuff and, and became quite the, the businessman, um, which maybe I'll, we'll talk about him. I'll leave everyone on a cliffhanger who it is, and we'll talk about him next <laughs> podcast with JR next week. But I think that's pretty amazing that we can do things like that and push people to that level for sure. If they're – yes, I agree with that. And and it, and it's I, – I feel like – Hopefully your podcast can generate more people like that instead of the other way it goes. Instead of saying, man, thank you for kicking my ass. (laughs) Thank you for teaching me a good lesson. Good game. You did awesome. I didn't do do as I didn't perform as well. And I learned something from you. And thank you for that. I don't like it. I'm, I'm being nice to you. I'm really pissed right now, but in the reality, I'm pissed at myself for not performing as well as you did. And, and just if, so the audience <laughs> knows this kind of happened by total accident. Cause we're kind of all the way back around to the original quote, which is, I want to <laughs> yeah. repeat to people is what people tend to forget is that the journey that I had getting to formula one, there were plenty of years where I had to learn about losing and having bad races And again, that's Lewis Hamilton, but that's really what we're talking about is I need to learn how to lose and I need to know that 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 disadvantage is actually my advantage because it keeps pushing me harder. And that being said, we need to teach our kids how to lose and lose gracefully and learn that in order to win, they have to work at it. It's not just given to them or something that's just a privilege. It has to be earned. And I think that's really important. Oh yeah. I love, uh, as much as, and I'm, I, you know, I'm quite fond of my son. I'm, you know, everybody's fond of their children, right? Um, who am I to be different? Um, but that kid of mine, when he loses at something and it doesn't happen very often, but when he loses at something, he is fighting back tears. He is that emotionally attached to his effort that he puts out that it, and it, he doesn't, he's not, you know, being emotional because he's a sore loser. Uh, that's not, not even close to the point. It's, he's just, he puts so much into you know, whatever he's doing that when he doesn't achieve the results he was looking for, he genuinely gets emotional about it. And I love, as much as I hate to see it, 
you know, when I see him getting teared up because he didn't do as well as he wanted to, it, it, it pulls on dad's heartstrings a little, but, uh, at the same time, I love to see it. It, it gives me hope. It gives me some kind of hope for our next generation, because at some point he's such a likable guy. He's going to influence somebody. One of his buddies around him is going to want to be as competitive as he is. Yep. They're going to want to, I don't know. I don't mean they want to do better in sports than he does, but they want to have the same passion for what, whatever it is they're doing that he has. Uh, his buddies love it. All of his pals that hang out with him, they're like, yep, LT's a crier. And I'm like, whoa, 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 what are you saying? What do you mean by that? And they're like, he does not do well with not doing well. <laughs> and, you know, at first, I'm, you know, my natural instinct is to say, man, son, you need to learn how to. But that's not the case at all. He's just a pat. No matter what he's doing, he's passionate about it. And that that comes from competitiveness. And that comes from a lot of losing. Yeah. You know, you, you lose a lot to learn how to win. And then once you get that taste of a win, then you're like, Oh, okay. So all those nights and days that I worked really hard at this, I, that achieved these wins. And then when you don't get those, he, you know, he's really pissed at himself for not working harder before a game or whatever else so that he could have done his part to get that win. And I, I, like I said, as much as I, it, it, when I see him get teared up, I'm fighting back some tears myself yep. just because of the passion that he has. But I, I love it. I absolutely love it. It, it gives me hope. Well, and you see, it gives it, me a lot of hope. It's Super Bowl players that got all the way to the Super Bowl and lose, and the and the tears they're fighting back. And some of it's sadness because of the loss, but I think a lot of it is frustration because they've put in so much work to get there. And then there's the part of the frustration where you know you have more work to do and it's not over yet. And as a competitive athlete and playing soccer growing up, I was that kid also. I hated losing. I, I hated losing games. I really hated when I performed badly, especially if I knew I could do better. And there were tears. And, you know, Zoe's going to be upset at me, and she's a competitive CrossFit athlete, my stepdaughter. But she, when she doesn't do well or she doesn't live up to her expectations of herself, there's tears of frustration and she gets upset. But in that, you know, and she's hard on herself about it and doesn't want anyone to see her. But the reality is, is that gives me hope. That gives me hope that someone out there is wanting to push themselves harder and be competitive and is going to be a human being that will push themselves harder no matter what. And those, that frustration is the steam that keeps powering them to do better, and that's the way it should be. We need yeah, to do well, better. And believe me, I have tears of frustration and being an entrepreneur. I can tell you, you can ask Deborah, like if there's a day that absolutely frustrates me and I don't perform well or things don't go the way I want. You know, there's days I push back tears and I'm like, what am I doing? I work so hard and why is this happening? <laughs> and I'm so frustrated. Yeah. And um, it happens sometimes when I get negative comments on the podcast, which aren't very often, thank goodness. But I'm like, don't they see how freaking hard I'm working here? What is their problem? But I 
then if I take a step back, you know, and she reminds me that, you know, there may be some truth in it. How can you do better or fix it or whatever? And that's not the n- real negative comments that don't make any sense or understand. Yeah, no, that does it, th- some people are just trolls yeah. and like to be a jerk just to be a jerk. That's not the same thing. But there's some things, you know, <laughs> there and I need to, okay, I can improve that or that's not working well or how can I make that better? And really it forces me to do better. Um, and so, you know, there's that. So my point Uh, being, you know, tears aren't always a negative thing. And again, I want to go back to the thing we talked about before. Um, you know, JNR talked about a little bit before the podcast and we've done a podcast on being a male role model and masculinity. Uh, it is pretty masculine to cry. And here's why, because having the guts to do it in front of a, another human being as a man in an American society where it's frowned upon, you have to be this hard boiled egg versus, you know, a soft boiled egg and a, you know, hard on the outside, soft in the middle, which is, I think what a man should be tough, but yet sensitive is that it takes huge amount of courage as a man to do that in today's society and be masculine in that way. And masculine is passion, which can lead to frustration, which can lead to tears and that passion makes us emotional and attached to to human beings. And it might even be argued that, you know, we as men could be more emotional than women because we are so passionate and dedicated to things. And that's not saying one person loves each other more than another. I mean, so I'm basically saying that, I mean, it's okay to be emotional as men and, and figure it out. And I think we try to bottle up our feelings sometimes way too much, and they have major negative consequences as a man. We try to monitor it, or we try not to be too emotional. But the reality is is that we are passionate. It makes us who we are, for sure. Um, not sure how find, you feel about some- it, but I'm like, passion is what leads to these great people that have led great societies and great sports teams and, and everything else. You name one great football coach that wasn't passionate. I mean, I can't name one or any great coach for that matter. Yeah. I find anyone successful that isn't passionate about what they do. Finds, I mean, maybe they're out there. I don't know, but uh, it's just part of it. If you're, you know, with the exception, and I, you know what? I was going to say, you know, take your Wall Street guys that are just, you know, moving dollars around daily and capitalizing on that. But even those guys, you're going to see some tears and passion in that as well, because those those passions have a lot more zeros behind them, right? Yeah. But it's that's part of it. Any Anything worth doing is, uh, I'll be cliche, anything worth doing is worth doing right. And I'll take it further than that. If you're going to do something, be passionate about it. Otherwise, just hang up your cleats or whatever it is that you take to work every day and quit. Yeah. That Find something else to do. Find something that you've got to have something in you that you can contribute. And I, I, no matter what I do, I've, I'm passionate about it. Even yeah. when I was welding all day long, you know, underneath the hood, burning wire all day. I was passionate about it. I, I, you know, I pushed myself to do the best I could. And the guys that I was working with were as well. I think they got complacent for a while and, you know, just wanted to do the minimum because, you know, this is where I'm at. And if, you know, someone at some point told them, don't work any harder, they're going to want that out of you all the time. 
So they fell into that. Now you got a guy that hasn't worked there anywhere near as long as you that didn't buy in into the, that, that type of mentality. And I just continued to push myself and I got moved right out of that welding shop. And, and the job I'm talking about is the job I was the, the, I don't even, I don't even like to call it a job. It wasn't a job. It was my career. You know, it, I was there for 19 years. I started off, if you want to call it, in the mailroom. I was started off as a welder at the worst pay pay skill you could get. I started off as a welder. And when I left there, I worked directly with the vice president of that company who taught me so much, a whole lot of what I used to run my business. You know, and that was just from being passionate about no matter what they gave me to do, even, you know, then the, that machine shop, I mean, that manufacturing facility was rooted in the oil industry. So there was ups and downs. There was years that it was slow. So it's like, guys, we need you to sweep the floor real good today. Well, guess what? I was a passionate son of a gun about sweeping the floor. I was glad that they let me be there and be getting, you know, allowed me to get paid that day. And so guess what? You could, you could have eaten off that floor. (laughs) You know, it, it, it doesn't matter what you're doing, be passionate about it. And to, you know, that somewhat, and you know, you're at risk of having me on your podcast, a total loose sight of the topic, but I'll tie it back in. <laughs> that would be considered a loss in the grand scheme yeah. of things uh, of slow times. So that would be, you know, part of the early stages and, and, you know, not doing as well to, there was a whole lot of uh, work that went into this to get to where it was. And no one wants to think about that, you know? Yeah. So no, it wasn't lucky. It, I wasn't lucky. I pushed myself harder than, than I could ever realize I could, I pushed myself as soon as I got to a point where I thought I wanted to quit, I pushed myself harder and thought, what's the worst thing that happens? I pass out or throw up or something well i'll wake up and that throw up will clean up but let's see what you can do why not yeah exactly (laughs) why not see what happens let's do this this would be great (laughs) when i actually love that you brought it up because i think what people don't understand uh and there's a difference uh not you can never gain perfection so obsessing over something to make it perfect is different than obsessing over something to do the best you can because doing the best you can is doing the best you can and, ex- and willing to learn from it and then being able to move forward and knowing that the next time you do it, you can do even better because you learn from that time. But if you get stuck and are constantly trying to perfect it, you'll never finish it to move on to the next time you get a chance to do even better. And I really, because that's important, I always want to do the best I can, but I need to keep trying it. I need to have the 10,000 hours. I can't get stuck in perfection this one time. I need to be do my best this time and, and make sure that I'm holding myself accountable to the best, sweeping the floor, making sure everything's clean. That doesn't mean I can't learn a better way to do it next time after I've stepped away from it, thought about it. Okay, I could have done this better. Go back next time I get to sweep the floor. I can do it in a more efficient manner. So when the floor is not a great example, but we can always do better in my opinion. Sure. And um, it's... One of those things, and I like the sweeping the floor thing too, because 
you know, it was, it's something growing up on a farm in the horse barn. We always had to sweep the floors every day and from cleaning stalls or the horses and whatever. You didn't want all the stuff all over the floors and you wanted it clean. And, you know, it's uh, sweeping the floors is the best way to do it. And uh, God, I'm going to go off on a tangent, but then it's like, okay, we're going to blow it because it goes so much faster and we're going to blow the the things out and it's the most efficient way to do it. <laughs> well, guess what? Even with all blowing, that settles, all, huh? yeah, all that <laughs> settles, and so it's still never clean as it's still never clean as actually sweeping it. And while it's more efficient, it was never the same. So guess what happens? You go back to sweeping it because you don't need dust everywhere. You don't need dust in the hayloft. It just because it's faster, you know, doesn't mean it's better. So better often means learning the best way to do it, which is not only efficiency but also quality. And so, you know. Just, I want to say this though, just, you know, I'm going on and on about how I, you know, I push myself in this and that. And I, uh, I always, if you ask, if you ever get to talk to anybody that knows me, I, I'm not, I'm, I don't like attention. <laughs> so me t- saying how I push myself hard and this and that, it, even telling you about it makes me feel uncomfortable. So what I want to reflect on and everything that I said listening to you talk about sweeping the barn, I didn't become this way just because I was like, man, this is what I want to do. <laughs> I became this way because <laughs> I get, I feel like I'm starting to tear up right now because I'm coming to a, a reckoning. If you will, my parents pushed me hard and that's geez. Like, and it wasn't push you hard like varsity blue style. Nothing was ever good enough. That not in that way. But teaching you what it means to earn your way really and I and I bring that up because you and I talked about it before you started recording. Teaching you the value of earning something or, you know, appreciating what you have at a certain point is People aren't born that way. You have to be taught that. I truly believe you have to be taught that somewhere. Even if you weren't taught that way by the way you were raised, you encountered someone in your life that instilled that in you that says, you know, don't take what you have for granted just because you're, you know, you get the day off work because there's no electricity doesn't mean that that wasn't, didn't come at, you know, uh, a huge tax to someone. And I bring that up because in Oklahoma, you know, we have terrible thunderstorms and power lines get blown down. And there was times that our machine shop didn't have electricity because we're waiting on the power company to get things back up and running. Well, guess what? Our customers in France, Germany, <laughs> China, you know, you name it, Russia, they don't give a crap that we don't have electricity. They want their parts because they don't, <laughs> they're not from the same town we are, but it, to circle all that back around, I, 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 I feel like I was bragging a lot about how I pushed myself to do these things. Well, it wasn't because that was my natural instinct. It, I got to give it up to my parents for that. They, they really taught me work ethic. And so I guess if there's anybody listening that's, that's you know kind of doing their own thing, but they have young children and they want them to do – everybody wants their kids to do better than they did, right? I'm, at least I do. I have a, I have one son 
and I want him to accomplish way greater things than I ever did. But he ain't going to get there without being influenced in the right way. He's not going to get there without being told that, you know, if you don't earn something, it's never going to be worth anything to you. Exactly. I can give you, I'll give you, what do you want? I'll give it to you. You won't appreciate it as much as something that you got on your own. I guarantee it. There's no way, zero chance anyone and someone will, if someone you run across someone that says that the opposite of that, they're lying to themselves. There's no way you appreciate something that was handed to you more than something that you got from your own actions, sweat, effort, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> I would love for someone to prove me wrong. Challenge. Challenge posted. <laughs> well, and that's exactly it. I, You know, when people say to me, I wish I could just make it and my business would just blow up, you do not want that. You do not want to be an overnight success because the the as far as you rise, as fast as you go up, is as fast you're going to go down because you weren't given the opportunity and the dignity to learn the lessons along the way. And they're important. You have to build a base along the way. Exactly. And if you don't get that, you're not going to know what to do when you're at the top. So you're just going to fall to the bottom because you don't have the hard knocks to, to maintain that kind of success. And that's why people are musicians aren't overnight success. They've had years of work to get where they are. And the ones that stay at the top are often the ones that had the hardest knocks to get there. Because they're like, I've this mm-hmm. shit's hard. I've learned a lot of lessons, and I'm going to fight to stay here because it was so hard. If you rise too quickly and it's too easy, you're not really going to know how to fight to stay there because you didn't fight to get there. Yep. And so I, I couldn't agree with that more. I mean, I, I truly do feel that that's exactly how. And I, I'm not sitting here saying that that my company, the goat is, I mean, I am still going through those hard knocks. We're still trying to get our brand out there and get everyone on board to, you know, realize that we are, uh, you know, the greatest of all time. (laughs) 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 So we're not even close. We're on step two of, of a hundred. Right. But that, how I've got to this point was being pushed hard growing up and that you know i i can tell you i probably hated it as a as a you know a young boy and a teenager i was was like man why are you guys making me mow the yard and it's 103 degrees outside why am i mowing the yard well you know what that is called building character (laughs) yeah that's exactly (laughs) you can't pay enough money for that that's that is something you can't pay any money for in, in my opinion. Well, I agree with you. And I was the same way. I'm like, why am I doing this? I know I get paid, but all my friends have these small yards in suburbia and uh, don't have any chores. Yet I'm working <laughs> on this farm, cleaning water buckets, shoveling shit, literally, and, you know, yeah, exactly. and sweeping <laughs> and always having something to do. And at the time, I didn't really realize the lessons that I was getting or why they were pushing me in. It probably lent to some resentments as a kid towards my parents because I'm like, why do I have to do this and it's not fair or whatever? But actually, what really was happening is it gave me a huge advantage in life. I I do feel that. And I'm able to deal with a lot more hard knocks and failures and knowing that I can work my way through it and pick myself up and, and do things than a lot of other people. 
Um, and the other thing I learned is, you know, and this is an important one is not to blame everyone else. Like if I do something wrong or something goes wrong, maybe someone did it to me, but I got to look at my part for, for one and why it happened. But the second part is, is okay. Like I, this happened to me, but what am I going to do about it? You know, okay, I can complain about it and blame someone, or I can be like, all right, I'm going to do better, or I'm going to fix it, or I'm going to use it as the steam to power myself, or what it is. And on a farm or in when you parents are holding you accountable, shit goes wrong. You know, I can remember where I didn't put diesel fuel (laughs) in a tractor, and I let it run out of diesel fuel. And it was horrifying to me to have to go to my parents and let them know I did this. And being scared of it and having that hard life, I can tell you I've never run out of gasoline again ever in my life because of that moment. Yeah. Ever. <laughs> yeah. Well, because what most people don't know, at least anybody that hasn't had any interaction with a diesel tractor, is it's not as simple yeah. as just going get more diesel and put it in and yeah, wait a second, yeah, fire yeah, it up. Yeah. It's a whole uh, lot more uh, uh detailed or or uh, involved in getting that thing back up and going when you let them run out it's bad very bad to let a diesel run out of fuel (laughs) and you know justin i want to say this also that you 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 brought up the holding yourself accountable or i can't remember exactly what it was i was reading a text message at the same time but i i love that you brought that up i you if something bad happens to me, uh, you know, within reason, I mean, someone can say, well, yeah. what about this scenario? Yeah. Okay. Well, you're right. But I, I will absolutely never blame a single person. If something bad happens and I'm involved, I take 100% responsibility for it. And not in that way. Oh, oh well, it's my fault. I yeah. should have, <laughs> yeah. you know, everybody feels sorry for me because I'm taking the blame. Yeah. I'm telling you 100%. It is my fault. I feel like that I was given all the, uh, at least the ability to obtain the tools to make good decisions and have a good wherewithal on, you know, whatever situations, you know, I, I, the first time I spoke to you, I was telling you, I just recently had to take my sign down or my sign was coming down a few days later. Well, you know, we have customers come in, from that point, they're like, hey, where'd your sign go? I was like, well, you know, I had to take it down. It was bigger than the sign that uh, the building owner approved, so I had to take it down. Man, that guy's an a-hole, and this and that and whatever. And I'm like, you know, as painful as it is, and I'd like to agree with you guys, but I'm the a-hole, really. I mean, it's my fault. The <laughs> guy, whether it's Whether it was an inch too big or four inches too big, there were parameters in place on signage and he owns this building. So if he says I want to sign this size, regardless of whether I was misled in this or that or whatever, I still submitted the information for approval. And so then they approved that information I submitted. Well, that information I submitted was not correct. It was, it was not the right one. So, Landlord comes in town. He sees the sign on the building. It's bigger than the one he approved. He's like, no, I can't do that. You got to take that down because I just recently bought this building a year ago, and I want all the signs the same. Doesn't matter if I agree with him or not, right? Yeah, there's it's no. His. Yeah. He owns this building. It's his. That's like, say, 
that it's your home that you're leasing out your garage you're like hey don't uh don't paint the walls of my garage don't paint the front of my garage but then someone does you're like hey get the hell out of here i already told you in contract that you can't paint the the front of my garage and you did so you gotta go or you need to repaint it back the way it was so it's the same thing and that's a little far-fetched but still at the same time no matter what yes i forwarded along the wrong attachment because the wrong attachment was sent to me but I'm still the one that sent it on. Right. So 100% it's on me. Yeah. And that's just, that's, you know, that's just the most recent <laughs> thing that I can say that, uh, you know, I'm taking count, uh, holding myself accountable for there's others. I'm certain if I could think back and didn't waste too much of your time, but it, it's still the same way. I'm, Accountability is a big one. And I, I hope that kind of still ties into your subject. No, of this it podcast, does completely. But... <laughs> And I, I think it's, it's I hate, important. It's not my fault. Is I? It's almost fingernails on a chalkboard to me. You 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 want respect? If you make a mistake and you want respect from me or just anybody out there that even gives a crap what I say, you want respect from somebody you admire or want respect someone you care enough about. You want respect from them. Own it. Whatever the mistake is own it. Don't say it's not my fault because whatever you, you're saying that for your benefit, but whoever you're saying it to thinks less of you than if you were to just come right out and say, man, so here's the deal. I blew it. My bad. I knew better. Or I thought I knew better. And you know, whatever the case may be, just own it. Say this is, I, I am holding myself accountable for this mistake please forgive me, teach me how to make it better and do it right the next time. <laughs> that is how you get somewhere in life and across the board with your customers, with your employers. Uh, I, you know, I don't think you should go the reverse direction. I wouldn't tell your employees that then, you know, they yeah. may, <laughs> they may lose faith in you and run away, but generally that's not the case, right? That you, those things don't go that direction, but still yet that, Owning your mistakes is the is the losing the races that get you to be the championship race car driver. The guy didn't blame a bad tire change on a loss. You know yeah. he could have done something different to make that better, right? Well, well and I love how we tied that back in because uh, at least my understanding from the documentaries is the both guys that for the Haas team that put each car one tire each on the bad on wrong that pulled them out of the race they admitted to what they did and um they they were honest about it and you know at least it appears that way in the documentary but i think that's so important because then a person that you come to or a boss is like okay they know they've done it wrong we can improve on this because they've accepted that they did it wrong when someone comes to me and says that it's not their fault I'm like, oh shit, this person's not going to want to improve, one and not going to want to do it better because they can't even see that it was their fault or even if it doesn't look like their fault that they played a part in why it went wrong. You know, and it's like it's great, you know, and I this is hard for me because it's happened to me before and I've been mugged a couple of times. But and, and everyone's like, "Oh, you know, how can you say that the mugging was your fault?" 
And I'm like, here's how it was my fault. You know, I was in a rush. I took a shortcut. I was in the wrong neighborhood at the wrong time. And I knew better and I still did it. So just because I got mugged doesn't mean I didn't. Yes. Are they bad people? Should they steal from people? No. But at one point I was in a rush and I didn't leave on time. And therefore I took a shortcut and therefore I went into the place I knew I shouldn't go. And there is my part in that. I did that. I put my own life at risk unnecessarily because I wasn't being smart and I waited to last minute because I had something, you know, important to do that really wasn't more important than my life. And I did that anyway, you know? And yeah, that's how about hard. that? <laughs> that? Yeah. How, how about th- at that point, at least you're a rational person. You can realize, you know what? Yeah, you're right. You. That's not... That's not okay for you to hold me, hold my life uh, at hostage for whatever I have on me that you want. That's not okay. However, I put myself in this position. Yep. You know, <laughs> that's man. Anybody listening that works for Justin, I hope you guys value what he just said because that's that that tells you that's a great sign of a very very good leader. Um, we. <laughs> That we that we always had a joke at uh, the company I came from. Anytime one of the machinists, you know, the newer machinists, they'd make a bad part. They're like, "Man, I don't know what happened. I I did this right and I did that right, and this machine that has no emotion or or agenda or anything decided to do something different than it was programmed to do." So. Uh, magically, this part was bad, but it had nothing to do with me. I don't know what happened. It was the machine. No. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think so, man. They, uh, Unless there's something worn out <laughs> or, you know, a battery is going dead or something, those don't happen. And with a little investigation, we could prove that's the case. <laughs> you did something wrong. Yeah. And, and if you really want anyone's respect – and you want to improve and grow and uh, achieve a common goal of victory, then you've, I don't know what happened, Yeah. but I am, I am admitting that it's my fault and I want, I will look at, I'll figure out what happened so that we can fix it. Or I will, if you can give me some assistance into helping me figure out what happened so that I don't do it again, man, that's the difference between a guy you say, you know, Pick, pack up your stuff and you probably don't fit in here. And a guy that says, you say, you know what, man, I appreciate your honesty. When's the last time you had a raise? Yeah. You know, exactly. I, I'm telling that has happened. I've had to sit in on that exact meeting and the guy that made him, made a bad part. And it was a big bad. It was a part. It was a very, very expensive piece of metal that he screwed up. But he specifically said, I do not know what has gone wrong, but I know it was my fault. And if you give me, uh, I will go investigate and figure out what happened, knowing that it was my fault. Or if you have the available resources to help me figure out what it is that I did wrong. But I want you to know, I know it's my fault. That guy got a big ass raise. (laughs) That same day that he screwed up a hundred thousand dollar piece of equipment. (laughs) (laughs) Wrap your mind around that. That's, that's, uh, and that's the way it should be, you know, assuming that guy, but that's a guy you don't ever want to turn loose of. No, I want that guy working for me forever. I don't care that you messed up a, 
almost a tenth of a million dollar part. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, you owned it, and that's that's honor and integrity, and those things you can't pay for. You you couldn't give that guy enough money for what he did that day at that time. Yeah. And I agree with that 100%. And there's two points of two sayings that come to mind when we talk about this. One is, is they're snake finders and they're snake killers. So it's great to find the snake, but are you willing to kill it and come up with a solution on how to do it, even if it's your own snake that you let loose for to tie it together? The second part is, is if there's a problem and you come to me and you tell me it's 100% not your fault, I've now got two problems because (laughs) I've got the problem itself and now I've got the problem that I have an employee that works for me that's a liar. And so that is not... Um, because there's no way. It, and when we start to realize that there's this cosmic world and everyone's tied together and the little decisions we make, are there's actions that cause reactions no matter what we do. And I can, The butterfly effect. Yeah. <laughs> and it happens, right? It happens in food. It happens in, in life. And, and, you know, things happen. We mess up a recipe. We, you know, in food in particular, something bad happens in Mexico with salmonella and it spikes the whole industry. You know, a bunch of people may get sick and die. And and while it wasn't our fault, you know, I can still be held accountable because I could choose my vendors better. You know, and if I was out there looking at the farms and where I'm getting my produce from, then this wouldn't happen. And I, as a company, have had to learn that lesson in particular is, yeah, okay, it's not my fault. It's thrown. It was him. They did it. But the reality is if I were doing a better job of watching where it happens and how it happens, then we can do a better job. And that's, again, I'll go all the way back to where we were talking about is buying local, buying from your local companies, buying from the person that's not in a CEO office at 300,000 feet above, you know, the floor level or never going into reality. production. Yeah. You know, and I'm not saying <laughs> there's anything reality. wrong with big business, <laughs> but what I am saying is absolutely not. trust the yeah. people that are there seeing it with their own eyes. And even that's true for me. I've got to trust the people in the facilities that are seeing it every day. But don't tell me that it's not anyone's fault and you always did it perfectly because, you know... It's not always going to happen, and we're humans, and we make mistakes, and we get tired, or we have a distraction, or something bad happens at home. Just be honest, and if something bad's happening, we can address that and move forward, and we can improve, but you're not going to grow. We're not going to grow as a company, and I'm certainly not going to respect you if you're telling me that you didn't, that there's no part. I'll respect you if you come to me and say, we could have done this better. Here's how we can improve it, and how we don't let any more snakes in the garden uh, that sounded a little bit weird but my point being is that people you know we can do better as humans like and in just accepting it as status quo and as is and we didn't do anything wrong you're not going to grow in this business no matter what business it is and yeah and yeah and to to tie to so so that i could feel accomplished today to tie that back in if you change the word uh, for the company or whatever and change it to for the team, which yeah. is truly what it is, yeah. then that's when you, that's when everyone finds success. And, you know, just like the welding story that I told people get, they think that it's someone out to get them or they're not part of the common goal when, you know, eat, let's just say that that's, that was my mentality before I started this company. Um, 
I would have changed my opinion by now, you know, because every little bit helps every person matters. I don't, I don't know if I agree with uh, you're only as strong as your weakest link. I think that's just something dumb somebody came up with at one point. I mean, you can have really weak links in the chain and then spot them and move on, you know. But if, you're, if you do have a strong team and, and you have a good leader and you point them all at the same goal, change those words out, right? Company for team and teammates for employees that's all the same yep. and, and if you don't get caught up in that man's out to get me mentality and you know the i, I guess those things do exist in the world and I, I can't say that they don't you know i don't work at every place there is to be employed so there are exceptions to that but any if you work for anyone that's successful if the company is successful I think that you most likely have very good leadership. You almost have to. And and there's a good core group of people that are part of that team. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, if I think that if you uh, don't agree with that, and again, I don't work for every place there is to work for, but if you don't agree with that, you might be part of that 10% <laughs> that yeah. GE evaluates every year and they move along. They move, uh, they move forward in different directions, you know, and I don't think that you may get hate mail for me saying this, but I, I don't think I don't fault GE one bit for what they do. I'd hate to be one of the 10%, yeah. but if I were one of the 10% that gets cut in a, in a given evaluation for me, I'm going to look deeper inside myself. Yeah. So and I'm never going to want to be that 10% again. Yeah. So that they're sucks. doing <laughs> they're doing that 10% a favor. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I mean, get fired from a job one time. If that doesn't make you feel like <laughs> the most worthless thing ever, I've only been fired from one job in my life. And that was, I was in charge of, believe it or not, sweeping the floor <laughs> of a machine shop in like way outskirts, Norman, Oklahoma, I'd get off high school, I'd get out of high school and I would go there and it was my job to sweep up metal chips. Well, once the machinists that worked at that machine shop realized that they had somebody <laughs> that they hired to sweep up metal chips, guess what they didn't do all day. Yeah. <laughs> and instead of embracing that and realizing, hell yeah, thanks guys. I am so glad you think you're screwing with me because you've given me more work to do and a better chance to prove myself I got caught up in your idiot high school dude mentality, if you will. And I'll screw this. These guys aren't paying me enough to sweep up a whole day's worth of metal chips. <laughs> we never agreed on the amount of chips I was supposed to sweep metal chips. I was supposed <laughs> to sweep up in a day. You know what I mean? No, so I whatever's know. there, they wanted their shop clean by the time they got there the next morning. And I didn't do a good job of that. And, got there from after high school one day and the owner's standing there and he's as soon as I walked in the door, he said, ah, that's far enough. Here's your check. And I was like, uh, I thought payday was Friday. He goes, Oh, it is for everyone that works here, but you don't see ya. <laughs> <laughs> as devastated as I was at that time, I love it now because it was one more thing that just pushed me harder to never let that happen to me again. Yeah. And that, that, I guess that ties back into the first one is, building on your failures because <laughs> yeah. I have 
I've never been fired again. So I hadn't been, I, that was the only time I had ever been fired. I don't ever want to be fired again. I still remember how that feels. And that was over 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah, no, that's not a good feeling at all. And, uh, there's huge lessons. I wish more people would learn lessons from that actually. And I think there's a lot of people out there that continue to get fired from jobs because they never actually, it goes back to never actually look inside and realize like, Hey, I might not be doing something right. It's always everyone else's fault. And yeah. unfortunately in this society, we've created a lot of that because we gave away trophies and never held anyone accountable and mediocrity became the set standard or the quota versus the gaining to excel. And I want to keep talking about this and uh, the audience is probably knowing by now I'm going to divide this actually into two episodes, <laughs> but sure um, and so there'll be a stop point and I'll have to um, go back and do a reintroduction to one of the parts and launch it in week two. But I'm going to break this up into two parts because I don't want to stop the, the commentary and I, and, but I don't want it to go too long where people don't want to listen to a whole episode, but I think part of what's going on here is, um, you know, every, when every, when nothing's your fault, there's never any responsibility for you to take. There's never any responsibility for yourself to take responsibility for your life. And if you don't take responsibility for your own life and it's everyone else's fault, you'll never take the steps to actually succeed in your life. And I don't think yeah. many entrepreneurs are like that, but I do know that we get people that work for us that are like that. Um, and like you said, there's probably going to be some hate mail here and there, but it's the truth is that is like, where is, you know, the, the work ethic and people have different work ethics and different things. So if you don't like your job and you keep getting fired, one of the things that may be going on is you're not you don't have the right job that interests you, but don't expect to go out and get this high paying job and, or <laughs> great job that is ideal for you. If you don't put in the work first, I mean, we expect we become a society of privilege versus earning. Like I, I, I deserve this. Well, do you, I don't still to this day, I don't deserve anything in my opinion. Like I haven't really earned anything in the grand scheme of thing. I and mean, there's been, billions of humans before me in time, you know, that have had life worth that have earned their way to get me so I can have a cell phone or I can have these things in life and me earning my way or what I deserve, what I need to do is make sure that I leave the world better than the way I found it and that we continue to grow as human beings. And if we don't do that, what are we really doing? How are we helping other human beings? Cause you know, I'm just like, you know, and that's in business, that's in life, that's for our kids. What are the examples we're setting? You know, you know, I love so. that you said that, man, because that, that's, that's, that's something that I get really irritated about. Anytime someone ever says, I do or don't deserve this, that, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. I hate the word deserve, unless you're saying that the only thing you deserve are the bad things that happen to you so that you can cherish the good things. I I uh, I hate the word deserve, except yeah. for the way I described it, and I agree with you completely on that. It it's so frustrating to, and again, I'm torn. I we give out trophies to the losing team. That should never be okay, except for 
certain organizations that provide a competitive environment for, uh, I don't even know how to say it without you getting a ton of hate mail, but some a, a group of, can I say handicapped uh, yep. in, in any way? Yep. I, I don't know. But that's that's the only time that that I would say that that would be okay, and that's because and it's not because you're rewarding them for something they didn't achieve. And if you think that you're a fool, because they are achieving something huge, they are achieving something. They're getting out and doing something that no one ever thought they could do. Yeah, and that's so exactly that's okay. it. I agree with that. Yeah. Other than that, if you're going to compete in sports. You don't get an award unless you get the W and you don't necessarily need an award for that either. <laughs> the the award or reward for that should just be the W in my opinion. I, I we had a, my son played in a baseball tournament in some town and uh, he, they took second place in the tournament. And it was a big tournament. And these kids, they fought hard to get there, you know, and to, to get second place. It was a bit of an achievement, really, considering all of the um, the really talented teams that were in this tournament. Well, one of the – after it was over, you know, second place, they get their, he, they get their trophies, and the kids said, ah, well, here's something for the wood pile or something along those lines. And I – I'm not, I'm not that guy. I'm not going to say something to somebody else's kid. Like, oh, well, that's your parents' fault. So let's go. Let's go get in the car. Let's go home. <laughs> you know? Yeah. We get in the car, and I could see my son taking on that mentality a little bit. Instead of <clears> – and I know he's a competitive guy, so that should have been considered at the time. But, you know, he's kind of tossing this second-place trophy around while – like it's you know, how dare you give me this piece of crap that I've got to tote around? This is second place. Ugh. Well, it was either a life scarring moment or a life teaching moment for him. Take your pick. Uh, but I was, <laughs> I, I can tell you that it got under my skin. I've been at the ballpark, getting blasted by hot wind and sand all weekend in support of you. <laughs> you know, then you're going to act just pissed or, you know, as keep in mind, this was years ago. He was 10 or 11 at the time, young enough that I don't hold it against him, but still old enough that it was a good lesson. And I, and I was like, man, I see you kind of got broke your trophy there, kind of took it apart a little bit. And uh, I said, you're going to put that thing back together. Have you ever tried to put together a trophy? Another One of those- nightmare. It's not possible. It's not. Po- <laughs> I mean, it is possible, but you have to be a magician <laughs> or a wizard of some sort to be able to put those dang ballpark trophies back together. I knew he had no chance at it. And I told him, I said, uh, you're going to put that thing back together by the time we get home or you're I'm taking your TV out of your room, your your taking your cell phone away, whatever he, you know, he didn't have many little things like that, that he gave a crap about. The kid really just liked to be outside, you know, (laughs) but anything I could think of that I would take away from him, I was taking it away. And he's like, all right, but why? And I'm like, you, you, that's a second place trophy, right? He's yeah. I was like, 
why are in the world are you pissed about what you earned? You don't like second place? That's what you got. There was some point in that game you could have made a difference yourself or encouraged one of your teammates to do better and have and could have and done something in such a way that you would have not got second place. You could have got the first place that you wanted. Yeah. So now you you're holding in your hand the pieces of what you earned and you're going to put it back together. Or I'm going to take away everything that means something to you for an undetermined amount of time. And, and you'll think about that the next time you're pissed that you had to put this trophy back together, which I knew you're not going to be able to do. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did indeed set him up for failure on that one. I knew he wasn't going to be able to, but it wasn't the point. It was a fa- It was a good opportunity to deliver a message that, you don't want second place. Guess what? You had something to do with it. Yeah, there's there's other kids on your team that made mistakes or this, that, or whatever, but you in some way contributed to that second place finish and could have contributed to a first place finish in some way. Whether some guy was struggling, but he's a key member of the team, talk to him, help him, pick him up, tell him he's, you, the rest of the team's got his back and you guys know what he's capable of and help him achieve what he really wanted to do. The guy missed a fly ball, didn't, you know, he didn't do that to screw you guys over. That doesn't happen. He really wanted to get that fly ball. So the fact that any of you could be pissed at him for missing that fly ball, you're fools because it's going to happen to you. And you can only hope that one of your teammates says, hey, man, that sucks. But you got the next one, dude. You're you're that good. Don't worry about it. Yeah. So <laughs> I went on a rant there, and I, I'm sorry. No, I actually want to talk about that a little bit. Um, and I was probably about his age, and my father coached me in soccer a lot growing up, and then I wanted to become better, and I pushed myself. So I went to better teams. But I had this experience in, God, it was the spring of when I was in fifth grade, and a lot of the kids I went to school with were born in 1980, and I'm born in 1979. So they all got to play on the the – the select teams and get recruited during the spring and I only could play in the fall. So I ended up on a rec team that my dad coached as a fifth grader, which, um, you know, and I was the, not to toot my own horn, but I was definitely the best player on the team for the most part. I mean, we had some other good players, but God, we would lose every game and the frustrating and tears and just frustrated with my teammates and everything. And after every game, and it would just anger me. And my father must have said it. I mean, I think we played. It must have felt like 500 games losing. But it was really probably about 12 games. And um, (laughs) after every game, he says, you can either be the best player and frustrated that no one's as good as you, or you can be the best player on the field and try to teach everyone, including the weakest link, how to be better players and lead them to be better. Yep. And we weren't, we were by far the worst team in the league. There was no doubt about it. But something happened towards the last few games of the season where that clicked in my head. And, and we got better. And we tied the second to last game and we won the last game. And we had no business doing that. But something happened where I was less hard on my teammates, I was less hard on myself. And it was about winning. But it was also like I couldn't win without them, no matter how hard right. I tried or thought I could do it on my own or not lead. And a lesson I got then, and I didn't realize it then, was that 
You know, it's like the Spider-Man movie with great talent or whatever become comes great responsibility. And that is true. You can't, by being the best is great, but it's like we talked about um, on earlier on this episode is that I need to also encourage my competition to be better because it makes me better. And I'm only as good as the people on my team if I'm on a team. So I need all of them to do great as well. And I need to encourage them and lead them as well. It, even if I'm not the leader, I need to help lead in any way I can. And the reality is, is in somewhere along there, I learned to respect my father more and take him as the coach leadership and support him and therefore was able to see the team in a different way. And, and I don't know what it was. It was a big lesson as a 10-year-old. I remember feeling like my brain hurt. I le- actually finally clicked <laughs> so much. And But it is that. And, and I wh- can relate to that. And while there wasn't any trophy, there wasn't anything, the lesson I learned from losing every game that season, and it got key, and I find this in life. And so it goes back to if I keep getting fired, Sonera, I kept losing every game because I wasn't learning the lesson I needed to. And, and, and God, for me, was uh, hindsight was, or whoever, was putting it in front of me over and over and over again until I did something differently to learn that lesson. And that's what happens Imagine in life. That. Life, the yes. same thing keeps happening to you if you're not willing to learn from it or willing to accept your part in it. And if, yeah, nothing's ever going to change if you change nothing, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and when I go back to the employee saying I got two problems, one is the problem and now it's you as a liar. The real problem is, is I know you're going to do it again because you're not willing to learn from it. So my problem really is, is not only are you lying to yourself and lying to me, but it, which is an issue, but the real issue is, is I know you're going to do it again. So that's my problem. How am I going to handle this if you're not going to learn from it? And yep. we all do it, and I'm the same person. And, you know, we got to have patience. The person hopefully either learns from it by the third or fourth time as an employee or a screw-up, and we got to be patient to, to give people the dignity to learn their own lessons, or they don't learn and they get fired. And that's an, an unfortunate consequence, but you should look at it as a thank you. Thank you for firing me because, hey, here's the light bulb. Here's the reality check. I need to do something differently. It's not everyone's fault every time, especially after I've been fired more than once, you know, and if I don't choose to learn my lessons, which I do now, I really, I screw up sometimes often, but I got to really take a look at it, you know, say, I'm sorry, you know, when I do it, particularly in in my relationships and be like, (laughs) okay, I messed up there. I didn't handle that properly. I'm going to try to do it better and I may not do it better next time, but I promise you that over the long run, I will continue to work on it to make it better. And that's what any we can only expect and to expect ourselves to be 100% improved after every time. I mean, that's not going to happen. But what we can do is make progress for sure. Yeah, progress is what you want. That's, I mean, you're, not, you're never going to go from 2 to, to 100, right, on, a, on any kind of a scale. It's, it's, it's little steps. And it just, just like you said, any overnight success business, as much as I wish that were me and I was proving you wrong right now, (laughs) that, that, that's never a good thing. You have to build little by little, you know, if, if things aren't built in one day, you, it takes little, little, 
steps, little achievements, build on those. And then you're going to have several failures after each of those achievements that get you to the next achievement. But that one's bigger than the, than all of those failures and the previous achievement. And that's, that's what, that's when you, and I can't wait to watch the rest of this documentary you told me about, like I said, I had to shut it off because I was getting too fired up watching it. (laughs) It was just, I was getting (laughs) Netflix. You could send me a check to the goat. I'm just saying, but (laughs) 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 it really is. I'm excited. Even if you're not a race fan, I watched an episode and a half and it was so exciting to watch. And so encouraging and because if you have the ability to tie this competitive thing that we consider a sport into a business, which it what it really is for the people on this doc in this documentary, man, will you be enlightened? So I, and these guys, this, this is big money. This is really big money that these people are, I mean, they have millions in, in, each section of their team, yeah. the infrastructure of their team, you know? So I can't wait to watch the rest of it and, and see, you know, I'm not looking for ways to make it apply to me, but if there's any little things that stand out to me that I can learn from, I'm excited for those. I mean, there's some things you just can't force. It doesn't, you know, it, the rest of the documentary may not apply to me, but thus far I am certainly intrigued by it and, and have an open mind and can't wait to watch the rest of it because I, I love the competitiveness of that industry, you know, um, for that. I'll tell you this, uh, oddly, I should have brought it up. It, it's coincidental. You know, we just partnered with a, uh, dirt track series that's Northeast United States, um, that's kind of their region, mid, uh, West Virginia and, you know, that up in that area. And so I can't wait until I get to talk to their president again and ask him if he's seen this, uh, the president of this association to see if he's watched this documentary and get his take on it because they're, it's certainly a much smaller scale, but they're kind of living in that world right now. They travel to different States weekly, to race competitively for, you know, for pretty good money considering the level that they're at, you know, and I, I, it's very good. I'm glad this, this was your topic this week because the episode and a half that I watched, it's, it's got me fired up to say the least. Yeah. And, and, uh, and actually because we'll divide up in two weeks, but I still want to make sure that we have you back on for another episode uh, JR. So we'll do another recording next week for sure to prepare for the following week after I divide this one up. But I really want to touch upon a few things and takeaways. I think there's some major takeaways. One, we've got to teach ourselves. We've got to teach our employees and we've got to teach our children about losing. And we've got to teach them that losing is part of competition and part of our growth for improvement. And so that's one. The second part is, is we can do that by setting an example and leading by example in that taking responsibilities for the times that we mess up and taking ownership of the parts in our life that are our responsibility or our fault. And, and also the acceptance that 100% of everything that goes that happens to us is not someone else's fault. There's always a percentage 
that we can tie back to us like we talked about earlier. And lastly, I think that what we're really saying as entrepreneurs is that we have an opportunity here to really change people's perspective, help people's lives, and really start to to create something great here with our businesses and with our children. And we can teach them a lot of things through being entrepreneurs, involving them in our business, but we can also teach them a lot about being competitive with one another, no matter what it is. It doesn't always have to be in sports. It doesn't always have to be grades. You know, we can teach them competition and competitiveness through our businesses as well in a healthy way. You know, it's not about necessarily focusing on the competition in the business, but it's about striving to be the best. And it's not perfection, it's progress. And we shouldn't try to make our kids feel that perfect is best, but we should try to let them know that they always need to be striving for, to be better. And, and that's it. The thing is to, to bring it, you know, you and I can easily tie it into sports, right? Yeah. But the, the, a simplified way of saying that is teach yourself or your children or whatever, whoever it is, the subject, how to challenge yourself. Yeah. That's, that's synonymous with what we're saying. You know, exactly. we compare it to sports cause that's what we know, but the, 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 the base of the, all of those statements are challenging yourself. And if you can wrap your mind around that and figure out whatever it is that you're doing, sweeping the floor, competing in a sporting event, or I, I don't know what else there is to do that you could challenge yourself at Rubik's cube, whatever it is. If you push yourself beyond you, what you think you're capable of doing, you will be capable of doing more than you've ever thought you were capable of doing. That's Absolutely. a long way. To, <laughs> that sounded silly, but it, it's, it's, it holds true, I believe. And I, you know what? I have to remind myself of that. You know, I get punched in the face every day <laughs> not physically you know but as far as my business it's like you know you think you got something big happening and then you work really hard and and try to massage things to where they go to where everybody's you know getting some mutual uh benefit out of it and then bam doesn't happen <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know after a ton of work but it's still yeah it, it, I consider that as I challenged myself to reach this goal, something was wrong. I need to go back, evaluate it, figure out what was wrong in it, fix it and go at it again, but go at it better than I did before. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I don't know what our topic's going to be next week, um, which will actually be, you know, it'll be two weeks release from when we're talking about this, but We've covered so many topics, so I'm going to ask JR to pick the topic again for the next Motivational Monday and, and quote, and we'll I'll have you do that, JR. But thank you um, for being on the podcast again and doing the Motivational Mondays with me. I actually really enjoy it, and I think the reason they go so long is because we're really getting into the depths of things, and we're not just talking about <laughs> things superficially or at a 10,000-feet uh, viewpoint. We're actually digging into the real concepts and digging into what we believe are the issues with them and the way we found success in our lives. And I think that's the most important. I think everyone could be like, you just do these steps and tell them in 20 minutes, 
you know, that's great, but yeah, it's not real. And it's not, if we really want to help people, we, you've got to think, and we've got to challenge people to think, speaking of challenging. And so that's what we're doing here. You may not agree with everything we're saying, but I challenge you to think about them. And you don't have to do it the way we do them. That's not the point of this. We're just putting the information out there to motivate you to think about it. And that's part of these motivational Mondays. You don't have to agree with us, certainly. But I encourage you to think about it. Yeah. It's the concept behind it. You and I didn't get to where we are, respectively, by doing the same thing. It's just by using the same ideals. Uh, you're the if you try to do something the way someone else is doing it, generally it's not going to work for you. And I, I've I've been quoted in the paper by saying that if if you're going to build a business, you've got to build it and approach it in a way that fits your mentality, your work ethic. You have to tailor it to you, assuming you have what it takes to be successful. But <laughs> it's you can't do things the way we did things and get there, but you can apply the concepts behind it and, yeah, absolutely. and, 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 and approach it that way. Uh, I had another point I was going to make, but I forgot it. And it's probably time to wrap it up. I'll save it. If I think of it, I'll write it down for next time. No, but I want to make sure everyone knows. And thank you again for being the guest host. And everyone who doesn't know JR hasn't paid attention. He represents the goat beef jerky. That's the greatest of all time. And one of the reasons he is on this podcast, just from a competition point, so everyone knows, so far he has the most downloaded and streamed podcast to date. And he was only episode eight. So... I just, you know, <laughs> challenge out there to anyone who's going to be on the podcast since I like competition, healthy competition. But, you know, his social media and marketing team that he brought on really did a phenomenal job of getting people to listen to his message and his story and things on the podcast. So I do want to bring it full circle and, and let everyone know why I've asked him to be on because uh, he earned it. He doesn't deserve it, but he earned it through putting together a good team that really um, did an amazing job and really pushed his episode. And it's still the only episode that gets 25 or more downloads uh, and over 40 streams per week, Um, still all these weeks later. And it's been almost six weeks that we released that episode. So it's uh, pretty impressive. And, you know, so... Why not? And I think JR is doing a lot of things right, and he knows how to pick teams, which is why we we center around that consistently, whether it was Henry Ford or this. So, again, I gotta um, say, I gotta say, in parting, Justin, I'm sorry to interrupt you no, again, go but ahead. to highlight on that, my team just got uh, even better. Uh, my wife Veronica finally uh, felt comfortable enough to leave her very successful career to jump on a possibly sinking ship with me <laughs> to help me to be, to scoop up buckets of water and help grow this company. So it should only get better from here. We're, uh, we, we fight like you wouldn't believe when we working together, like actual working. So I can't see how this could go wrong yeah. <laughs> because if, if you're passionate enough, enough about something that you're going to argue and fight about it, possibly cry a little, then you both, are feel equally committed to something and want to achieve success. You're both passionate about it. So (laughs) our marriage may not last or whatever, but our 
dang business is going to explode. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think part of it is when two people are passionate about one another, most fights are because someone doesn't want the other person to see them in a negative way or the way they think the other person seeing them versus just having a disagreement. But I will tell you, um, in my opinion, when uh, people figure out how to work together truly, I mean, their relationship can only get better. Um, and believe me, I've worked with a, a different scenario and, and someone that I was in a relationship with and it didn't work out. But I think that I don't think that you guys are that way for sure. And I certainly don't have that now. But the difference is, is the willingness to both want the business to succeed and be yeah, a team. I'm really and excited win. about it. You know, I'm super excited about it. I'm, I'm, if nothing else, I, I don't have to try to remember to tell her how the day went or whatever. She's going to get to experience it for the most part with me. So yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, I'm, we're really excited. So if anybody was a fan of us before, it should only get better from here. Well, I'm excited <laughs> for it. I'm interested to hear how it goes. And, you know, we haven't even t talked about JR getting back on the episode a few months from now, but on this podcast, we definitely tell the whole story. So we're going to tell more about his business in a few months from now to see how he's progressing and the things he's just learned about his business. So we keep talking, but I think that's important. And congratulations, seriously, JR. I think it's a thing that Thank should you. be celebrated that she's believes in you and believes in the business enough and what you guys are doing to come be a part of it all. And so, yeah. You know, you know, that's maybe something we'll talk about next time is gratitude for sure, because I think it's a big one. And, that is huge. And um, and people believing in one another and the gratitude for our lives and the opportunities we have. So absolutely, you know, man. Gratitude. Me on, I think Justin. someone said I gratitude really it. begets gratitude or something. Maybe the words not begets. Um, my vocabulary is not huge. Deborah's the, the vocabulary one. But um <laughs> It's, you know, if we're, we have gratitude every day, then gratitude's also returned to us and good things happen is basically what I'm saying. So, um, if everyone likes what we're doing on the podcast, you know, please share this, please share part of it. You know, again, we challenge you to think about what we're saying. The motivation is beyond just trying to inspire you to take an action. The, it's inspiring you to think and apply what we're saying to your own businesses, maybe not in the way we do it or exactly the way we we see it. But I certainly, we have found success in doing it this way. So I challenge you to think about it and how to apply it to your businesses or your life or the people you manage or your homes. And uh, if I were to leave the podcast today with anything, it's how can we teach ourselves, our employees, and our children to be better losers and grow from it? So that's what I'm going to leave everyone with as the thing to work on for Motivational Monday. Uh, again, please share it with your friends and family. This is Justin in the Food Entrepreneurs Podcast, and I'm Justin Bizarro. And feel free to reach out to us anytime you want if you have questions um you disagree with anything we're saying you know we're here we're an open book and we're happy to to hear anything so thank you guys and have a wonderful day